0: Sleeps,
1: pal. Hey there, this is Pete Townsend and welcome to our 19th episode of Money Never Sleeps, a podcast that looks inside the head of entrepreneurs and at what makes them do what they do. Money Never Sleeps is kindly sponsored by Top Tier Recruitment, a specialist recruitment consultancy in fintech and financial services. In this episode, we talk to Deso Donahoe, co-founder and managing director at Fundrex, who provide cloud-based reconciliation software for the investment funds industry globally. Owen knows Des from his own work, and also from the Irish fintech scene in general, which is currently booming with over 170 fintech businesses. Not bad for a country with only 5 million people. I've known Des for years, and lunch with him and one of his co-founders, Alan Meaney, in 2016 helped to give me the courage to take the leap as an entrepreneur myself. Thanks for that, guys. I also partnered with Des and Alan and the rest of the Fundrex crew for the Adminivate conference. More on that later. Overall, Dez helps to keep me in line by not laughing at my jokes, by being skeptical on all of my views on blockchain, and by changing the topic when I start talking about myself. If Dez was with me right now while I'm recording this intro, he'd have pulled the plug already. With that, on with the show. So here we go again. Welcome to the 19th episode of Money Never Sleeps. We're here in Dogpatch Labs in Dublin. I'm Pete Townsend. And I'm Owen Fitzgerald. And we're here with Dez O'Donoghue co-founder of Fundrex. Welcome to the show, Des. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Des, we've worked together on a bunch of stuff over the years. We have. You've interviewed me. You've asked me questions. I've given you answers that probably weren't the best answers in the house. Awesome to have you here finally. Um, I know your backstory, right? But for Owen, for our listeners, tell us how you got here, how you got to this point, co-founder of Fundrex and all the other things that you do.
0: Sure, so my background is investment funds since 1998 on the operations side, that's where I, I started, um, started originally in Dublin, ended up in Luxembourg and then when I came back I ended up in S C N I investments working on the learning and development side of uh, fund accounting transfer agency but very fund specific stuff and then I got, got involved in the product development side of things. So that, that's, that's my background. And all that while, I had an interest in technology. And Long story short, myself and two other co-founders actually, uh, Alan Meany and uh, Padre Goscanal, who is actually my brother-in-law. Contracts are very specific in in, in Fundrex. Um, We got approached by someone who said, you know, you guys uh, have a lot of product knowledge. Uh, We have a very specific problem we want solved. It was on reconciliations and it's something we knew very, very well. I would say we actually had a, a very unhealthy uh, competitive advantage. I'd already done this kind of stuff before. Uh, we had what a lot of startups don't have, which was a paying client from the very start. So um, it was accidental. It wasn't a case that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur um, or have my own business, but the timing seemed right. So one thing that people, I suppose, listening to this might be interested to know, and it's something that I didn't know, The average age of an entrepreneur in this country um, is 39. Uh, I was kind of surprised when I heard that, but then it does make a lot of sense uh, for so many reasons. Um, One of those reasons was that you don't have the gray hair that a client might like to see coming in the door. You probably don't have a lot of money in the bank. Not that we had a lot of money in the bank, but we had an opportunity where we could partner with somebody that was willing to, to pay a nice amount of money for us to build a product. So that's, that's where Fundrex came out of.
1: Were you embedded in SEI when that happened?
0: Uh, yeah, so I, I was working there and I, I was the last to jump ship um, in, in terms of uh, Fundrex. So what we started off was just kind of a proof of concept. Um, and it wasn't until uh, a couple of years later where I actually uh, ended up uh, joining the so company. So you were kind
1: of doing that on the side?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say not so much on the side. I wasn't really directly involved until... I jumped ship. There's no um, employment
1: contract still at risk here with SCI. No, 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 it's no. okay. <laughs>
0: no, there's not. But that's but that's the way it actually happened. So it was actually Alan and Paulie that, that had done everything. Uh, okay. Yeah. So so that, but that's, that's where that came from. And it's a funny when you know people always say to me, "Well, it must be great to have your own company and all that kind of stuff." And I would probably be the not the right if you were trying to G up a, a, a lecture theater of fintech graduates I would probably be not the right guy to do that because I think ostensibly if you look at fintech companies or any startup they're probably a bad idea a lot of them um the odds are very much stacked against you. Totally. So we kind of had a perfect storm in that. As I mentioned, we had well, we had the, the skill set to, to build the product from an operational perspective. We had a very, very good developer in Podrick, And that's one piece of advice I'd definitely give to anyone that was thinking of um, starting a FinTech or any technical company. If you can get a technical co-founder, it's worth its weight in gold. I would actually argue that if you are getting a, if you're starting this company, you need to have somebody that's got skin in the game, they've got equity in the company, okay. um, because the amount of iterations and pivots that you will do would cost you an absolute fortune if you were to pay uh, uh, developers. Yeah, I mean, developer rates in this, in this city are what? Maybe 450 to 600 euros a day wow. for a Java developer. So that's probably not, not going to work. Affordable
2: for a startup, yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's coming back to your thing uh, the age like it's it seems surprising it's not like it's, it shouldn't seem surprising it is uh, I think people are just used to seeing kind of younger founders and all you know the Facebooks of the world where it's all set up by young tech guys but like MIT did a study I think they only released it a couple of weeks ago the average age of entrepreneurs is 44 and like I think it makes a lot of sense because typically it's people with experience in their domain you know are creating a company to solve a particular problem versus the likes of a facebook which was something that maybe never existed before that's a different thing you know it's spotting an opportunity for something that didn't exist versus building a company like you guys had domain experience you know you knew how to build and what the problem was by your years of experience working in that
0: yeah Uh, yeah and and i mean the other side of it but this i i I think one message i would definitely want to hammer home to people is when it does come to startups because i know the media in general you'll see a lot of um very positive lights being shined on companies, like it's a sexy thing to do. Um, If you take the ones that are successful, the likes of Intercom, fabulous uh, company and product, we use them ourselves, very good, and Slack, uh, excellent. People need to dig a little bit deeper and look behind. If you look at Slack, um, that guy I think had four startup attempts before he had Slack. Mm -hmm and he just kept going. Um, it could have been very easy for him, I'd imagine, to have run out of money, run out of patience, run out of relationships, you know, <laughs> by, by the time he actually met a bit of success. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's something you need to really, really consider. Um, and I, I, I definitely, if, There's definitely a lot of lessons that I would have learned along the way that I would definitely pass on to
1: people, yeah. Well, I remember a couple that you and Alan shared with me when I was going out on my own, when I was making that decision nearly two years ago now. And you said, one, always have six months' worth of family expenses in the bank. Yep. Which is important. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And two, that the 29 potential bad days that you might have a month um, are completely uh, overwhelmed by the one good day. That you may have every month right and that that one good day just will last you uh for the next 29 days
0: yeah well i would agree with that I, I aim for one good day a month that's what i aim for and the rest of them are torturous and difficult and not good because you're trying to fight the good fight and when you are a a small uh player in an enterprise market and enterprise sales for those listening to this. You could be talking anything from, I think our shortest sales cycle might have been eight days and our longest was three years. And that's from initial conversation to actually something cutting you a check and, and paying you. And the other thing I would say is that the large companies, they like to talk about engaging with fintechs and with startups. But the truth of the matter is until somebody
1: actually pays you to do something, they're not really engaging with you. What you, um, with, with the whole mindset of an entrepreneur, you kind of said this a few minutes ago that you didn't feel like one, um, you know, when you got going, and that when you were the third one to the party, really, with, yep. with Alan and with, with Patrick. Did I say that right, Patrick? Patrick. Patrick, close enough. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm getting it after 12 years. There's still. probably a fought in there somewhere with the Irish names. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, how how has things changed? How have things changed over the last few years in terms of your own mindset towards the day to day?
0: Yeah, so that's a good question. And what I, as I said, I didn't set out to. It, it kind of just fell in my lap. It's just the way it happened. It wasn't really a conscious decision that I said. Uh, I mean, I had worked for SCI Investments. They're a very good company. I enjoyed working there. So it wasn't like I was trying to, you know, find something else. It was just the timing uh, and, and how it turned out. Um, Mindset. I've learned so much. For anyone listening to this, there's a a great guy, Sam Altman. Uh, anyone that follows startup startup space and the Y Combinator program, which is a program a program on the West Coast, it's probably the most successful uh, incubator on the planet. Um, I was trying to think of different lessons learned that I had made along the way, and I actually just I think Alan sent me on uh, I think it's a 16 minute uh, YouTube that that that. Um, Sam had done basically for the Y Combinator program it was basically on how to become a successful startup and it's kind of three years too late for me because I've, I've kind of gone through the other side of it you know we, we, we've had scenarios where we had paid uh, bills wages with credit cards and all that kind of stuff so that's, that's the non-sexy side that people don't see but I do think it's important for people to know but like he had some he had some fantastic uh, pearls of wisdom, and I'll, I'll go through a couple of them if, yeah, you, can, if, if you don't it. mind, because go I think I think it is worth for people people to hear this kind of stuff. But uh, um, and he makes a couple of points, and he was saying, you know, if you're going to build a product, one of the key things is if you can get people to talk about that product and recommend it to their friends. That's gold dust. I mean, that's he would say, you know, eighty percent of the job is that people actively talk about your product, even in the investment fund. Like we we focus on the investment fund fund administration space. Um, and we know people talk about Fundrex and how it makes their day better. I mean, nobody wants to manually tick and bash anything. So for us to automate it, that's a win. And because the, there is an incestuous nature in Fund Administrator in that people move jobs. Uh, and that's very good for us because they're our best salespeople because they'll move to another um, fund admin or investment management house. And they say, well, why are we doing this in Excel? Excel would be our biggest competitor by a distance. And it's nice for them to tell their new companies, know oh, there's a better way of doing this. So. Build that product that people will, will talk about, that's for sure. Um, it needs to be simple to explain. Otherwise, there's a lot of unclear thinking there. Uh, the market has got to have room to grow, and it's got to be a real market. So there's been a lot of talk recently around virtual reality. But it's been kind of a fake trend in that it's something that everyone thought this is just going to explode, but it hasn't quite exploded just yet. Yeah, I believe it will. But it hasn't, and you cannot be the person that's left holding the baby because you're going to run out. Of, you're going to run out of, mo- of money, and and you know, the biggest problem that most uh, companies in general have, whether it's startup or not, is cash. You know, running out of cash. So you've got to make sure it's a real trend. Um, enthusiasm goes a massive long way. You've got to be so enthusiastic all the time. And if you're the guy that's trying to run a company and you're not enthusiastic, don't expect anyone else to be yeah, because uh, it, it does come from the top, as, as they say. Um, you need to be really, really realistic with your expectations. Everything takes three times as long, and it costs three times as much. That,
1: that was one of the other things he said to me back two years ago. Uh,
0: absolutely bang on. Um, I'm a big fan of the Stripe brothers, Patrick and John. Um, Patrick recently talked about the first 10 hires that they had, and I would echo what he said in that he said, the first 10 hires that you have are going to shape the next 90, and you need to be so careful about who you're bringing in not just from a a technical perspective but from a fit like will they actually fit into the organization so that's a very hard one to get right and we've been i'm going to use the word lucky because there's a lot of luck involved here we've been very lucky in the group of 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 people that we've we've gotten together to work with us at fundrex
2: and we we like we just had chris from flender on the show last week and he was talking about that culture piece you know was trying really trying to identify the right people because you know, as a startup you may not be able to offer the salaries that they'll get somewhere else but you really need to identify the right people I saw it in Future Finance whereby we brought in people not only with the skill set but who wanted to be part of something and were able to be part of something because that drove then, you know, when you were filling out the team that kind of everyone else bought into that same message because they saw all the senior people engaged in it
0: Absolutely, and the other thing I would say is if you're thinking of a startup don't go after something that you think is easy because if it looks easy and if it is easy There's a couple of problems with that. A, there probably isn't a market or a problem that you're actually trying to solve that you can make money from, but also people want to be challenged. And when you talk about the top-end developers, they don't want to try and solve simple problems. They're not interested in that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, no, I've seen developers leave businesses because they're just no longer challenged. They want to move on to the next great thing, especially those in the 20 to 30-year-old bracket. You see that a lot. Um, What what you said about culture is quite interesting, Des. That book, um, Sapiens, by, what's his name? Yuval Noah Harari, I think is his name. Uh, It talks about when you get up to 100 people in any culture, group, setting, whatever, um, that's as far as you can really go with people believing in the same thing without it being written on the wall, right? Once you get up to 150 to beyond that, that's where things, the only way that things can survive in a single mechanism is if you've got uh, gossip uh, and rumor going around and that spreads the word, right? Without intercom and messaging boards and things like that. You guys are now at the stage where you've got the award from Bank of Ireland, is that right? Where you got sponsored to open the, o- the office yeah, in yeah. New York?
0: Yeah, it's Bank of Ireland's Start Lab. It's an excellent program. They have given us and six other companies office space in a wonderful setting and building in Manhattan. So we're actively moving to New York at the moment. Um, We have perfect product fit for that market. It's it's just ideal for us. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and with with that, you're on the tipping point of going scale, right? Yep. And getting, you know, and and, uh, up to... As many people as you think this business is going to be, without putting a number on it, obviously it's you know uh, who's to say uh, a business today of 500 people, um, you know, is it, something that with technology and where it's going could stay flat at 500 people and still grow to a revenue that would need you know another thousand on top of that. Yep. Where where do you want this to go? So it, that's a very good
0: question, and, and it, just a couple of points I'd make there on on scaling it, scaling a team. One thing that you will, de- and Sam Altman talks about this, one thing you'll have to do as a founder is you'll transition from being a product-focused guy, you know, focusing on Fundrex and parsing files and the ability to streamline processes, to actually focus on building a team, okay? Because Fundrex at the moment, the product is matured, uh, it's, it's just ready to go and it's ready to scale. Now, one thing that would have saved our, we, we're cloud only, and uh, we made that decision from the very start that we were not going to go local install that's paid dividends, uh, it nearly closed their doors at the start where five years ago um, the market wasn't quite ready for cloud only and now, now cloud only is what they want so that was a gamble but a bit of luck that worked and, and so we, we only use cloud, we use Amazon Web Services as I mentioned. Um, so, so yeah so when you go from the product getting the product right then there's other problems you got to go to building the team. Um, w- your question is in relation to how large a company can it be, and it's a tricky yeah, one. To answer. I mean, I've,
1: I've I've seen the ethos, right? Because I've sat down with you guys, yeah, and I in in your Westmoreland Street office, yeah. right? And I I know how you guys all interact, um, and when you bring new people into the team, you're incredibly welcoming. When Frida came in last year, mm-hmm. that was fantastic, um, and that kind of open embrace of new mindsets and new ideas is fantastic for your business Um, that will obviously become more challenging how do you keep that open-mindedness as being part of so so one
0: thing that's worth explaining I suppose is our business model it's software as a service and for people that aren't familiar with what that means is we provide the technology and the company itself um, uses their own resources to to use that technology now what's really good about that is it means we can scale as a company and you know, we're, we're on client number 16 at the moment and they are enterprise-level clients and people would say, well, you know, how can you possibly service 16 clients in, in multiple jurisdictions? And it's true technology. So it's, it's using clever tech. I, I, uh, I mentioned one of them, which is Intercom. So our average response time, and people find this very hard to believe, over the last 90 days is four minutes. So that's not a case where an issue or a bug is resolved within four minutes. It's a case where we've come back to the client, but this isn't a bot, this is a person going back to the client saying, yep, we're, we're aware of this, we can see it, um, we're taking care of it. That really goes away from the old model of um, vendors that I would have used um, when I was working in fund administration where you send a ticket off to a black hole and two weeks later you get a response, mm. if at all, and the response is typically no. Um, but well, we were obsessed with customer service from the start, but that customer success is enabled by technology. So long story short, I don't know how many staff we will end up um, having, but it will be significantly less than the old school um, firms where they didn't have clever tech that actually you
1: know, allows you to scale. Yeah, yeah and I, th- I think like you said, the US market is ripe for what you guys are doing. There are so many fund administrators in the U.S., so many small market fund administrators. Um, And it seems like, because it's an uh, unregulated business there, that anybody at a senior level in a fund administration company, if they get upset about something and they get in a disagreement with their boss, but they have a fantastic relationship with three or four or five clients, they could just leave and go start their own fund administration company uh, with some of the typical known software out there and get it going you know and pay the bills and pay their salaries um that to me is completely unnecessary and there's way too many fund administrators out there i think what you guys can do is is to um help those fund administrators to reduce costs uh, to make things more efficient and that it's just you know the, the country rather than the world but the country the united states is your oyster right now absolutely okay. i mean our biggest
0: competitor at the moment people always ask us you know Who, who's your competition it's excel that's, that's who our com, com, main competitor is. That, that's what people use. And one thing I learned along the way is technology is a lot cheaper than people think it is um, in terms of, I would have always thought, well, if you move from a manual process to an automated one, that's gonna cost you money. It doesn't. There's none of our clients that we have currently that it's more expensive for them to use Fondrex than to do what they were doing, whether it's manually or to Excel or you know visual basic macros and all that kind of stuff. It is much, much cheaper to use um, a, um, software as a service basically uh, it, it, it's much more inexpensive Just changing tack a little bit uh,
2: one of the reasons I always enjoyed dropping by on Westmoreland Street to talk to yourself and Alan is that I kind of find both of you are what I'd call maybe students of you know uh, entrepreneurship or whatever is the best way to describe it but that you're guys who actively look to learn so something that comes up a lot is that we, we come across the value of mentors but, like, there's a really good um, uh, talk on YouTube. I think it was a TED Talk possibly by a guy named Ty Lopez. And it's around mentors and the value of what they can bring to it. But not only a, a, a personal mentor, but also what you can get from books and from, you know, people's lives and their stories about what they've done in the past. And, like, you're, you're talking here about the lessons learned from the likes of Assam Altman. Every time mm-hmm. we're talking, we're always talking about, like, stuff that we're reading or stuff that someone has seen or listened to, you know, which adds a huge amount of value. Like, that's obviously something that both yourself and Alan, like kind of live through and are involved in anything you don't know you actively kind of look to learn or you're open to learning a huge amount and you know we had chris adles back on recently and he talked about the best founders they want to work with are guys who are open to mentors and you know learning and understanding and taking kind of instructions with that you know how important is that to
0: you guys as a team and then yourself I, i think i think it's essential i think i think it's just i mean i don't understand why you wouldn't do that. I, I don't understand why you wouldn't shortcut your success by actually looking at people that have already been either very successful or very unsuccessful and try and figure out, well, what did they do that we can avoid doing? For example, um, you know, uh, one question that I get asked a lot is, you know, what mistakes have you made in the past? I would have made an awful lot more mistakes had I not read uh, different biographies and autobiographies from people and talks from people that are kind of saying, well, don't do this for example like a lot of people if you were to take VC funding for example they will say now you need to hire, hire, hire that's all well and good but the problem with the hire, hire, hire is you're then increasing your burn rate massively mm-hmm. um, it's a full time job to hire those people and the reason I mention this is you know, people think if you take funding for example that that cures a lot of problems it does it gives you a whole lot of cash but that cash can sit in the bank that's got to be spent so that you can scale the company because that's what you told the VCs you were going to do The problem with that is, your company might not be ready to scale like that, and you might have a lot of people sitting around that you don't have revenue, new revenues to cover and to pay for. So I read quite a bit from one case study where they scaled massively. They took on, I I think they took on, let's say they were a company of 50, they took on another 100 staff, and it nearly buried the company Mm. because they went too fast, too quickly. So even reading that kind of stuff, makes you kind of think it's a fine line right it's chicken and egg stuff you need to have the sales but you also need to have the customers that are willing to pay for these new salespeople
1: as well so that's that, that's it, it, is this a, a the context of a boot, bootstrap business well, yeah well we we bootstrapped quite a lot
0: of fundrex and it wasn't that uh, it, it's not an equity thing it's a product maturity and ready-to-go-to-market thing, where we could have taken like we've turned down VC funding and, and buyouts on numerous occasions, and the reason you do that, the reason you turn down a buyout, first of all, it's way too early, but second of all, you can see the potential of a company that will scale, but you need to be patient, uh, and, and one, of the key, one of the key traits I think anyone can have in the startup world is patience. Right, there's two things for me, patience and being really, really stubborn in terms of not giving up because you'll have so many bad days. I read a very funny um, article the other day where um, it might, might have been Pat Phelan, uh, ex-trust dev, he's a great guy, and he was, he was saying that Sony was looking for some advice from him. And he said, sure, I can meet you at, at lunchtime at one o'clock or whatever. And the guy said, but that's lunchtime. <laughs> my, well, well, if that's your mindset, maybe you shouldn't do this. Um, I mean, there's that expression, if you have your own company, you only have to work half a day and you can do anything you want with it or 12 hours. And that's very true. If you're a worrier, um, startups are not for you. They're not healthy um, for people if you're a worrier. Now, we're very lucky. Um, but it keeps
1: you up at night, though. What's uh, the difference between worrying well, that's,
0: but that's not worrying, healthy not up anything, That's right? that's healthy ante- uh, anticipation of what's next in the journey. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah no, I, anxiety and yeah, uh, stress uh, of it. Yeah, some people are definitely not cut out for startups because they are difficult for so many reasons, as we've we've discussed quite a few of them. Um, I would say if you have an idea, you need to really, really, really have a good hard think. And and you know, if if you say, for example, well, nobody else is doing this. I wouldn't look at that as a healthy thing. I would be very there's concerned. A re- there's a if you know. reason why. There's a reason. There's a reason why somebody isn't already doing this and don't listen to your best friend or your mother or whoever is going to tell you, yeah, that's wonderful, son, you can do anything. Go out to the market and see what the market thinks about. it. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. But having advisors,
2: that'll be honest with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Who do, who do you go to, I suppose, in those situations?
0: So I would, I would actually go to the market. Uh, so we have a new product um, that we will be shipping. And it's, it, it came out because of the reconciliations. And one of the reasons reconciliations are difficult is, and file processing in general is difficult, is there's no, um, there is no consistency in terms of data formats, whether it's a Swift file, XML, PDF, whatever it is, there's no consistency. So you need to be able to deal with all of those. So there's a spin-out product that, that we have coming out um, that it will be a template builder for anybody to take any file in any format, pass it through a utility and pass it on its merry way. The, the reason I mentioned that is you asked the question, well, what do you do when you're not sure? So we have gone out to the market and said, well, if we build this, would you buy this? And the answer was, yeah, we would. That's how you test the market. Yeah, that's you know, A-B testing, that's well, a, a, bit a bit of it. A bit of it, so, like, so, but that's what you have to do and you have to be honest. And if they say no, you have to find out why no. And if they say yes, then you have to find out why yes and how much would you pay? Yeah you
1: know and, and C- customer discovery customer discovery the biggest um, my for wife, I said that to my wife and she's like what do you mean customer discovery that's market research yeah stop
0: using your big starting <laughs> happy <laughs> words Pete uh. like the number one mistakes I see startups making and we didn't do this because I had read that don't do this and that was having your minimal viable product and bringing it to market way too late so that is you, you, beta, you build a beta prototype of what it is that, that your product is going to look and feel like but people wait way too long to ship that, yeah. you get it out there as quickly as you can, because it's gonna pivot and it's gonna change anyway. So don't delay, you know, just get it out there and test the waters and say, well, would somebody pay for this? And until somebody actually you know, puts pen to paper, you actually don't have anything. Um, for us, I knew we had something when you, you have a company that's gonna pay you a six-figure uh, amount of money to build a product that you can actually scale and resell.
1: How does your uh, family put up with you with all this, Des? With, in general, or, just <laughs>
0: <laughs> or with Fundrex? Um, it's good in that um, I do a lot of video interviews, as you know, and um, I showed one to my son, and I said, well, what do you think about that? He said, oh, it's very interesting. I, I now know what I do not want to be when I grow up, and that's you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's all right. Keeps you keeps you grounded. No, it's good uh, in that. The product is really simple to explain. Uh, that's one of the things actually that Sam Altman had mentioned and I think it is true. You, even the name Fundrex, everyone knows, that works in this space, They know what, we know what they
1: do and that, that can be quite difficult to, to, to actually do. But You guys are doing more than fun, so I yep. mean, there's, there's an applicability there that's far wider there with the, the whole robotics kit.
0: There is, yeah. Machine learning is something we're very focused on and I don't use the term machine learning to try to be smart because i'm not and it's not me that's going to be applying the techniques machine learning the the difficulty with it is you need a lot of data and the data needs to be extremely good quality data the whole idea of machine learning is that the system can make a decision based on what's gone on in the past if you don't have the data of what went on in the past and it's not clean data you have a problem so machine learning is a term that's thrown at a lot we're looking at it and have been for the last year, and we hope to have, a, have it integrated fully, I would say. We already use machine learning techniques within Fundrex, and robotics is, is, is by its very nature of what Fundrex is, it's one big robot anyway. Um, yeah, th- there's a lot of overuse of terms, AI, machine learning, uh, you know, clever algorithms, yeah. fuzzy logic, all, all these things. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. If, if, you can, if, you, if, if the product does what it says it can do, that's all you need to concern yourself with. There's an awful lot of products out there that wave, like, like blockchain and all these different things, they will come in in some shape, make, or form, but you need to see them actively in the market, solving a
1: problem, yeah. and people paying for them. Blockchain's just a technology right? correct. rather than a product, right? Correct, so, I mean, correct. You know, but but that, that's yeah. the key thing, I totally get that. Um, we, just back to kind of outside of Fundrex with a day-to-day, um, you know, uh, Owen said who do you lean on and obviously going out to the market when you're doing new product design is one thing but um, f- from a personal perspective
0: uh, founders yeah so uh, there's three of us and that is fantastic and I'll tell you why because if we have a vote and we have a lot of votes on different things company direction um, new hires whatever it might be you can't have a split vote and that might sound really simple but it isn't yeah, uh, if you've got is. two people and it's, it's you and me P, whatever it might be um, you have a tie whereas with three you can't have a tie you either all agree or someone doesn't agree but there's a majority and that's fantastic but that's just that's, that's luck um, in terms of who I lean on definitely Alan and Podrick Podrick on the technical side we let him do he's got carte blanche to do whatever he wants so he does that and then myself and Alan take, take care of the business finance sales side of, side of things and that works very well so in terms of who we lean on it's definitely each other um, and then the other guys Kieran and, and, and Brian and the whole team down in Waterford it's it's a group effort. And that might sound a bit cliche, but it has to be. It has to be a team effort.
2: Cool. So tell us, what are you reading at the moment? Anytime we talk, we're always trading uh, stories of Yeah, books, so,
0: so uh, I just finished, actually, um, uh, Bad Blood, uh, Terranos, uh, which I found absolutely fascinating in terms of the worst case of... Um, Corporate governance are lack thereof that I've I've ever seen. I actually read it on holidays. Um, I think it took me two days uh, to to read it, and I'm not a very quick reader. It was, it's it's an excellent book. Um, uh, I would thoroughly recommend that as a how not to um, do it. Uh, there's another book that I that I read recently enough, and it's very entertaining. It's called Hatching Twitter. So it, it recounts the story of how Twitter came about, and uh, there, there was one excerpt from from Mark Zuckerberg that found very funny where. He describes it uh, as Twitter as four clowns drive into a gold mine discuss so but <laughs> well, you know it's 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 all good stuff but that the, I read an awful lot of self not self help books that's not true it's more on uh, self-awareness self well no m- more on how things went really well for certain companies and how things didn't go so well um, I watch an awful lot of YouTube um
2: like no, some, but I mean, uh, it's, it's about your own learning, I suppose. When I say self awareness, it's about you learning
0: something, something that might be useful to uh, you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, think, I just don't understand people that might think, well, I'm always right about, you know, or that, you know, just believe in yourself. I think take a look and take a balanced scorecard. If you've got people that are very successful, uh, like the Colors and Butters, I, I think that, look, the truth of the matter is when it comes to startups, is mo- you're guessing at a lot of things, right? So if you can lessen the guesswork, you're going to have a far more positive outcome hopefully Uh, but if you just are guessing and shooting in the dark there's so much help out there and the the Dublin uh, startup ecosystem is extremely uh, vibrant there's a lot of help out there I mean EI uh, we're an EI client Enterprise Ireland and they've been absolutely fantastic to us over over the entire thing so there's loads and loads of help out there for anyone that actually Seeks it, but you have to seek it. Like you have to I'd be open to
2: it. Yeah. You have to be open
0: to it, but you also have to. Um, we're like there's WhatsApp groups as well uh, with a lot of CEOs, on it, and they're fantastic. Like you might have a question might be to do with employee law or contract law. You, might have, you know, and you can just reach out to those guys and get an answer from somebody who's already done it.
2: Well, look, um, I think to wrap it up. Thanks for being on the show. What's something people wouldn't expect to know about you?
0: Uh, I'm a really bad drummer. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I had my midlife crisis uh, a couple of years ago. So I haven't got my convertible Porsche because I can't afford one just yet. But you, I've got you a, bought a drum kit. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I didn't I, know this. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was uh, see, this is the thing about it is, you know, to be a bad drummer is really, really easy. There's a, there's a famous quote from from the Beatles where John Lennon, uh, or Paul McCartney, one of the two, was asked was Ringo Starr the best drummer in the world, and they said he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. So... <laughs> And how
1: have you become a bad drummer? Right? Oh, less accomplished, drummer less, less
0: accomplished. I didn't think it was actually possible to get worse at it the more you practice, I always thought you are supposed to get better, but that hasn't worked yet. Hopefully my kids will, uh, will,
1: will be Take better it, than me. You read a lot. You watch a lot of YouTube. Yep. You, you somehow practice the drums yeah. a tiny bit. Yeah. Do you sleep? Yeah. Ah, Plenty. Kids
0: are a bit older now, so sleep isn't a problem. So that's, yeah. that's all fine.
2: All right. Well, listen, thanks so much for being on the show, for sharing all that with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Des.
1: We'd like to thank Dez for opening up his mind for the 19th episode of Money Never Sleeps, a podcast brought to you by Owen Fitzgerald and me, Pete Townsend, and sponsored by Top Tier Recruitment. You can learn more about Dez and FunRex on FunRex.com. Please subscribe to Money Never Sleeps on Transistor.fm, iTunes, Spotify, or on your favorite online media channel. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, tell all your friends, and spread the good word about Money Never Sleeps in general. If you're an entrepreneur with a story to tell anywhere in the world, drop us a line on info at moneyneversleeps.ie. We're about to go international. As I mentioned in the intro, I also partnered with Fundrax for the Adminovate Conference at Trinity College, Dublin, which is next up in January 2019, and tickets go on sale this week. Check out adminovate.ie to get yours. We'd also like to thank Conan Brophy from Create Sound for recording and editing this podcast, and thanks Dogpatch Labs for hosting us and for their unwavering support of the startup community in Dublin. Owen and I will both be speaking at the blockchain for finance conference at Aviva stadium in Dublin on October 3rd and 4th. We'll interview the first five people who find one of us at the conference and says money never sleeps pal. And then we'll feature your interview in an upcoming episode till next time. Thanks for listening. See ya.